0: Hey, uh, you know, good evening, folks. Uh, how are you doing this fine night, Mr. Smelly?
1: I'm doing excellent. Uh, we've got a whole new show for you over here at Matinee Minutia. Sorry for the delay, folks. I have to fire the, car- the
0: cameraman. We'll have a new one shortly. Hopefully, someone the showgirl hadn't dated before. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> and uh folks, thanks for joining us this evening. This is episode 18, so we're old enough to leave home now.
1: Uh-uh.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So, let's see. Well, now, Gertie, I've been meaning to ask you about that poster in the lobby. You know, the one that reads Gertrude and Blair. Now, was that you? Did you send you used to be an acrobat before you were a showgirl?
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know. Mr. DJ, that that, that was a very awkward time for me. I'd rather not talk about it. Uh, uh, Listen, if we're going to start the show, I need to get downstairs and and do my stupid intro, okay?
0: Break a leg.
1: Uh, Yeah, right. Bye. Oh, Oh! 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 Oh, my God! Oh, Jesus. Holy (laughs) cow. Gertie? Uh, 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 What are we going to... Okay, I'll do the intro. Uh, 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 um, We're doing Notorious. Uh, uh, On the heels of the Second World War folks, socialite Alicia Huberman finds herself struggling to counter her father's reputation. I know I'm not doing this like Gertie does. Uh, While on assignment in Brazil... She begins to fall for the G-Man. Did you guys know that G-Man is like government man? Yeah, that's what I mean. Anyways, uh, the, 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 the she begins to fall for the G-Man assigned to use her loyalties as bait. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Put on your smooth jazz, folks, uh, um, and slip into something more comfortable. Next up, it's the 1946 Hitchcock film no 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 notorious with Gary Grant and Igmund, -Igmund, Ingrid Bergman.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, Gertie, (laughs) I hope you're okay. Or, oh, poor Gertie. Oh, dear. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of the golden oldies? And a smidgen of streaming? It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host DJ and Toppy.
1: Oh. Hey, how about that, DJ? We did a little playlist at the beginning there. Yeah, we
0: sure did. I, I really hope our showgirl's all right. Maybe we'll hear from her
1: later if we cross our fingers. Concerned, I'm concerned about Gertie. Uh, I, the ambulance took her away, folks. Uh, I'm sure she's safe now. And, and uh, you know, like DJ said, maybe uh, maybe she'll call in to us at the end of the, <laughs> at the, end of the show.
0: So, uh, Toppy, we are joined together tonight by a great love of film and television trivia. Matinee Minutia is not your ordinary podcast. This is where we go behind the scenes. We find out what went on in the making of things. And so, uh, we're here tonight to talk about a 1946 film noir by Alfred Hitchcock. And. Now, if I look down from the balcony here, I see that there's a few folks that have joined us. Uh,
1: could you let us know who's been uh, here tonight? Certainly. Uh, we've got uh, Billy Starsage, your husband. And we have Maren Gertz. And we also have, as per usual, our pal, Tommy, who loves, he says, uh, Dark Phoenix, the recent X-Men movie. So, welcome. All use and uh, perhaps anyone else listening to our live stream uh, that just may not, for whatever reason, be showing up in our little chat room. Now, DJ, uh, this is an old movie, it's black and white, uh, 1946. Uh, there was a lot going on in the world back then. Can you kind of give us an idea? of uh, Set the Stage for Us. The world in 1946. Oh, right. So, in 1946,
0: in 60 seconds or less, we have the precursor to the CIA. The Central Intelligence Group is founded, and uh, the first general-purpose electronic computer was unveiled at the University of Pennsylvania. What? Really? Yeah, that early. The Philippines is granted independence by the U.S., The first underwater test of the atomic bomb. That was nice of us, wasn't it? I know. That was nice of us. I'm still not sure if they've got the vote. But uh, let's see. We also have the first underwater test of the atomic bomb. And uh, in uh, 46, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin had their first show in Atlantic City. It was the beginning Uh of their run. That's right, folks. Way back then. Yep. President Truman signed the Atomic Energy Act. Now, this placed nuclear power into civilian control. Before that, it was just the uniforms that were in control. And then lastly, the UN, the United Nations, holds its first meeting in Long Island. The oh. pre- Yeah, the President's Committee on Civil Rights is also launched that
1: year. <laughs> yeah, they they they're gonna have a long, hard struggle, aren't they? Yes, it was just the, the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. So, 1946, uh, we had a lot of celebrity births. I think you'll know them all. So, we got that there uh, musician, singer, uh, songwriter, Dolly Parton. Who doesn't love Dolly Parton? We got that uh, film critic, uh, he's passed away, but Gene Siskel uh, of Chicago, Tribune, a uh, Kitty O'Neill. She was a stunt woman, speed record holder, and uh, there was a, a TV movie made about her with uh, Stockard Channing back in the 70s. Hmm. Uh, she did, uh, she she uh, the speed record was for uh, water, a, a boat on the water. She did 275 miles, folks, on water. Oh, oh, we got Ed O'Neill. Uh, the actor Jenny Jones, uh, she was oh, good lord, she was a talk show host. Bob Villa, Vila. oh my god, is it Vila or Villa? Uh, v- Villa, yeah. So he was on public television and uh, he hosted this old house for like 50 million trillion years. <laughs> uh, then we got dope, get a load of this, folks. Sylvester Stallone, the actor, also top who knew. That Sylvester Stallone and Tommy Lee Jones were the same damn age. <laughs> that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Also, Steven Spielberg. Who knew Steven Spielberg? <laughs> anyway, still, Steven Spielberg was born uh, that year, nineteen forty-six. So notable, DJ. so yeah. notable that we just talked
0: about one of his movies a couple of episodes ago. Duel. Sure did. Uh, So in 1946, some of the competition that was out there, because we like to talk about what else was competing for your time. And uh, Notorious was a uh, released to theater film. In 1946, there was also a film with fellow leading man, Humphrey Bogart, and fellow leading lady of legend, Lauren
1: McCall. It was called The Big Sleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, so famous. And there was some uh, really schlocky uh, song that came out. <laughs> in, uh, I don't know, 79 or 80, with Bogart and Bacall. <laughs> uh, anyways, I'm sorry, keep going.
0: I, I have it on good authority that our uh, our chat room resident there, Ma Ren, may be a fan of Bogart and Bacall. Uh, let's see, so we also have in 46, a film that was uh, shot on location, partly here in the, the great state of New York, It's The Wonderful Life. The famous bridge scenes that was filmed in the birthplace of the women's suffrage movement Movement, Seneca Falls. Well, I just want to
1: correct you. Oh, uh, that Seneca Falls uh, was a place that um, uh, 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 Capra visited and it inspired what he wanted the uh, town to look like, but it was never they didn't actually film there oh. it was just the inspiration for what he wanted uh the town of bedford falls to look like
0: oh so that was it's a wonderful life and it starred the legend of his time mr james stewart and donna reed everyone's consummate hostess and happy homemaker yeah. We also have one of my personal favorites that starred Judy Garland and a young Angela Lansbury. It was the Harvey Girls. And a couple other films in 46. We had another Judy Garland film. It was Till the Clouds Roll By. And we have a Lana Turner film. The Postman Always Rings Twice. And then we have a film that's got a little bit of a controversy behind it. This is a film that Disney has tried to bury because there's a little bit of racism. But, uh, you know, recent celebrity Whoopi Goldberg has said, please bring it out of the archive. Song of the
1: South. Well... You know, it's got a little bit of of the problem that that when you read Huckleberry Finnard or Tom Sawyer, and you know, it's a little awkward. Uh, I I always thought that all you really have to do is, is say, you know, this this is about a time and place, and you know, may, maybe we can still enjoy the Song of the South. Other people would say, no, uh, uh, burn it. So I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But let's get on to our main movie that we're discussing this time. And it is Notorious. And uh, it's directed by none other than Alfred Hitchcock. A wonderful black and white movie. Um, And here's the story... Uh, it takes place in April of 1946, so right the very end of the war. And Alicia Huberman, portrayed by uh, Ingrid Bergman, is uh, an American daughter of a convicted Nazi spy. This was a big thing back then in real life. Uh, Nazis were being uh, 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 well, jailed uh, and uh, brought into courts all over the time. And uh, Alicia Huberman, this daughter of the convicted spy, is recruited by a government agent named T.R. Devlin, um, or just Devlin, as he's referred to in the rest of the movie. And Devlin... And his government people want Alicia to infiltrate an organization of Nazis who have moved to Brazil. Which was, again, something that was really going on after World War II. Devlin falls in love with Alicia, despite himself. And Alicia kind of falls in love with Devlin. But when Alicia goes deep undercover, their burgeoning relationship Starts to fall apart as she has to marry the Nazi Sebastian, uh, portrayed by our wonderful uh, duh. <laughs> Claude Rains. thank you, thank you very much, uh, Claude Reigns. And um, uh, they eventually the Nazis, um, Alicia's husband, Claude Rains, uh, eventually discover Alicia is a spy. And then, uh, we thrill through the last 15 minutes of the movie. Can Devlin infiltrate the undercover Alicia before the Nazis killer? And, uh, well, we'll, uh, we want you to see the damn thing. So, uh. So uh we won't say <laughs> when Devlin and uh, Alicia first meet. And Alicia is about three sheets to the wind. What's this all about, huh? What's your angle? What angle? What last night?
0: Just wanted to be friends.
1: Friends, yeah. So you could frame me, huh?
0: No, I've got a job for you.
1: Well... Don't tell me. There's only only one job that you coppers would want me for. Well, you can forget it, mister. Devlin. What? Devlin. I am no stool pigeon, Mr. Devlin.
0: My department authorized me to engage you to do some work for us. It's a job in Brazil.
1: Oh, go away. The whole thing bores me. Well, as you can hear, uh, they don't start off uh, liking each other too much. But and she eventually agrees to do this thing. After Devlin recruits Alicia, they they start to fall in love. I suppose you told them Alicia Huberman will have this Sebastian eating out of her hand in a couple of
0: weeks. She's good at that, always was. I didn't say
1: anything. Not a word for that little lovesick lady you left an hour ago. It, it just happens because they they're spending so much time together. Uh, Because he has to orientate her as to what she has to do. And they spend days and and nights together. They fall in love. Uh, And Devlin starts to have regrets about sending this person, Alicia, on this mission. Who he's kind of sort of fallen in love with. Even though he doesn't want to admit it. Um, So then the mission kind of... Changes and goes deep. Deeper than Devlin or Alicia ever thought would happen. And it changes everything. His family always had money. He's part of the combine that built up the German war machine in hopes to keep on going. I suppose you knew about this pretty little job of mine all the time.
0: No, I only just found out about it.
1: Did you say anything? I mean, that maybe I wasn't the girl for such shenanigans.
0: I figured that was up to you, if you'd care to back out. Now you've so, you, you, you've uh you've met the principal cast there, and we down. learned a bit about the plot point. The point now,
1: uh, yeah,
0: do you think it's on. time we start uh, telling the, the folks about the cast, the cast there, Poppy?
1: Yep, you heard the two of them right off the bat: Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman. This was their first pairing. Uh, GJ, what do we know about Cary Grant? Okay, well, Mr. Grant, leading man, was
0: born in England. He had three film credits in the same year as Notorious in 1946. And prior to Notorious, he had five film credits in just the other year, in 44. Seven in the next five years. He kept busy. Uh, just prior, he had Night and Day which co-starred Jane Wyman and one of my favorites, Eve Arden. Jane Wyman, some of you will remember, was uh, Spock's mother in the original Star Trek in the 60s, and she was leading lady in uh, in a few Ronald Reagan films.
1: Also, uh, she also reprised her role as Spock's mother in uh, Search for Spock and Voyage Home. Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, the next film that Mr. Grant... Uh, filmed after Notorious co-starred Myrna Loy who was star of the Thin Man series and later on as you've already heard a couple of episodes back here on Matinee Show, we discussed the 60s movie that Mr. Grant did with Doris Day that was Charade and that was our episode number 16 and uh, two others of his most popular films in 1938 so a decade before was bringing up Baby, which had uh, Catherine Hepburn,
1: a screwball comedy to beat all screwball comedies.
0: <laughs> it inspired the uh, the '80s Madonna movie, um, that Desperately Seeking Susan. I didn't know that. Yeah, and then in '59, he did a film called North by Northwest. <gasps> oh my God,
1: one of my favorites. Also a Hitchcock movie.
0: And then uh, let's see. Well, in this film, Notorious. This film features one of the longest kisses in film history according to a 1982 article in New York Magazine. Now, the longest kiss is in or, or sorry, the longest kiss is You're in the Army Now as of 1941 and reportedly the longest film kiss in film history, 3 minutes and 6 seconds, which was between Jane Wyman and Regis Tommy.
1: So the reason the reason this is notable is that there was a code in Hollywood that was in place at this time. It was kind of meant to bring Hollywood into standards and, and that uh, they perhaps perhaps lacked previously. And so uh, this board of censors uh, essentially that's what they were, decided that, you know, you really can't have uh, guys and girls kissing for like a long time, you know. And uh, so Notorious, in Notorious, there's a couple scenes where Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman kiss. And Alfred Hitchcock, he wanted more than what the censors was given. So he went around the, the rules in one scene Uh, Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman are walking around an apartment embraced and they're nuzzling, they're kissing, they're necking. But they stop and comment on the dinner or what's in the apartment or something. And then they start necking again. So uh, Hitchcock had this long, long kissing scene and he got away with it. Uh, because he had those breaks and towards the end there's another long kiss between them and he also managed to get that through the sensors because he had breaks these short little breaks in between the kissing now i don't know if you would agree or not with me on
0: this topic but i seem to catch on to some innuendo that was uh used in this film now i'm not sure if this was practice in those days because I I know that uh, part of the charm of films from a certain era was they weren't blunt they weren't in your face it, you know it wasn't uh, you know um, profane it was just kind of subtle and uh, there was a little bit of talk between Ingrid Bergman's character Alicia about how she could cook a chicken and i just uh, there is part of the the uh, the gay community maybe actually it's it's regardless of community where we use terms for maybe a slightly older person that was into somebody who was younger and that would sometimes be called chicken or playing chicken or you're going after the young chicken Spring chickens also thrown around if you're talking about a you know a a May June affair or something, but it just seemed a little bit um, you know out there, a little daring. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Hitchcock loved to do that. He he loved to uh, just take things a little further than was allowed, and he would do it with innuendo and things. So yeah. I mean that was absolutely going on, and and Hitchcock altered scripts. Um, uh, what well, what I mean is he had a big hand in the scripting of his movies, and uh, yeah, he. Uh, well, I'm just going to say Hitchcock was kind of a horny guy, <laughs> and and, uh, and this movie was really his first romance story. And yet, as uh, as they say in Facebook land, uh, it's complicated because, <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the relationship between Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman is swamped with problems. Uh, the only thing I want to say about Cary Grant, DJ, that I really love is that back in the day, um, he started in vaudeville and he did crazy things. He rode unicycles, he danced, he tumbled. He, he was very acrobatic. He did comedy. And, um, that was his beginning and live in front of an audience day after day, show after show, multiple shows a day. That's how he kind of owned his craft. And, uh, uh, I, I I just think that's really interesting um, considering uh, the rest of his movie career. And he also loved uh, uh, the Marx Brothers. And he, he considered, um, he sort of modeled himself after it, the, the kind of comedy he saw in that he loved. And he tried to imitate it. And he would go on imitating... Uh, actors that he loved uh, for his uh, early career because he was a rags-to-riches guy. Hmm. He had a terrible childhood by all accounts. Oh, yes. His mother was an alcoholic. I mean, I'm sorry. His father was an alcoholic and his mother had severe uh, mental illness. And I guess it was pretty rough. Um, And uh, Vaudeville must have been a tremendous release for him. Certainly. uh, Let's talk about Ingrid Bergman. Sure. Now, quickly, I just
0: wanted to mention that uh, Mr. Grant was also well-known in the community of Hollywood for having been sort of a health nut and he was long lived he lived into his 80s which was you know old for for that age he gave up smoking and he used to appear at people's funerals and he at a point said that he was tired of outliving everyone but uh, well
1: that was very late in his career like every well everyone he worked with started passing away yeah and that did uh, dampen his spirits Uh, But he came out of it, and actually, I think the last year of his life with uh, his wife at the time, everyone said he he had reached a level of peace uh, and uh, gratitude that he'd never had before. So he went out on a really good personal note for himself. And, um, well, uh, medical-wise, you said he was a health nut uh which is true um uh although he downplayed that he but he was uh but the other thing he did was uh, he was a real um um early subject of uh, LSD oh um and way before LSD was popularly known he got in with a doctor and they used it Uh, for um psychological uh growth and and benefit he had a lot of demons from his childhood and this doctor and uh lsd um uh, this went on for quite some time in a in a medical way which incidentally i think lsd is probably a good tool uh although it's illegal. Um, anyways.
0: Yeah, the long and short of that is that uh, his, he was told that his mother had passed away, but she'd been institutionalized until he was in his 30s, and he used some of his star power and the money he made from films to rescue for her from her horrible lifestyle, and she actually had a, uh, a modest living for a time before she passed. So... Um onto the leading lady, Toppy. Tell me about Ingrid Bergman.
1: Well, uh, she's uh, uh, beautiful. She's beautiful in this movie. She's beautiful at this time. She's beautiful in black and white. Um, and uh, she was considered... Uh, she's considered today to be legendary. Uh, she was born in Sweden. She spoke... Um, I don't know how many languages, at least five, Swedish, German, English, French, and Italian. Uh, she was the she uh, it was the mother of uh, a more recent actress you might have heard of, Isabella Isabella Rosalini. Um she had three films in the year prior to Notorious, and 23 acting credits uh, A previous film Bells of St. Mary uh, She co-starred with Bing Crosby She starred in four films In the next five years She was busy She was, she was in demand uh, She's the winner of three Academy Awards um, There's just a few Actresses who have done this Meryl Streep being one uh, Catherine Hepburn still leading with four Oscars. Um, she also won Emmys uh, and uh, uh, Golden Globes for the work she did. Um, and uh, so she's one of those, what do you call those people that have won? Oh, she also won a Tony. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she's kind of a big thing. What do you call the people, DJ, that have won a Tony and Oscar an Emmy oh uh, I think it's a triple threat <laughs> well, okay, but there's there's a name for it. it's like a oh, I, a professional name yeah, no, but just I don't know what it is, but there's an actual name for pe for for actors who have won all three of those things anyways uh she uh starred in three Albert Hitchcock films. And uh, the first two were very successful. We are just around the halfway mark, so let me do this. It's intermission time, folks, so hurry, hurry, hurry. Yeah, folks, uh, stick around listen to what we got here. It is the opening theme to Notorious. Stick around or have a piety break or uh, refresh your drink. Um, Spellbound With Gregory Peck She followed that up with Notorious With Cary Grant And a third Hitchcock film was called Capricorn and it was a Box office dud And it was a Period costume drama And it just It just People couldn't relate So it was a failure But anyways uh, after um, working in America, she eventually went to Italy uh, where she got involved in uh, with Roberto Rossellini and made movies there such as Stromboli in 1950. Um, she had a magnificent career and ended up with a TV miniseries called A Woman Named Golda And that's what she won an Emmy for. Um, uh, She's a class act. So that is um, Ingrid Bergman. And she's delightful with Cary Grant. She's, well, she's delightful with with everyone she performs with. But, uh, uh, you know, when they say there's a screen chemistry, well, this movie, Notorious, had that with Cary Grant and uh, Ingrid Bergman. There was a third guy we got to mention, and it's Claude Rains. DJ, what do we know about him?
0: Okay, well, Mr. Rains, the co-star who ended up playing the the uh, the former German national, and, and in fact, uh, Germany had only recently become a country when this story took place. I did a little reading on the subject, and... Uh, you know, we, we know that there were Nazis in South America, but the long and short of it is that that just like a lot of countries in the world, there were immigrants from Germany and South America before the World Wars. And Germany as a country didn't exist until closer to World War II. It was just a collection of kingdoms that were brought under one flag. So uh, Mr. Raines played... Uh, the The man from the old country that uh, Inga Bergman runs into. He's a friend of her father's character. And, uh, well, they eventually get hitched. Spoiler alert. But um, Mr. Raines often played sophisticated, sometimes ambiguously moral men. So kind of the creepy character. <laughs> yeah. He was married six times. Now, for those of you who have depression or maybe sometimes feel like you can do no right... Well, here's a bright spot. If you're feeling bad about what's going on in your life right now, lead a, read a little bit about Mr. Claude Rains. He had it rough. Um, he, mm-hmm. was, he was almost blind in one eye because of an injury he received in a gas attack during World War I. He starred in one of the most iconic early portrayals of the Phantom of the Opera, where the character was disfigured. It was a black-and-white film in forty three. And he also played opposite Betty Davis in three films and was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but he never won. And uh, most famously, part of his legend was one of his children, his daughter Jennifer, was once friends with Joan Crawford's daughter Christina. The one in uh, the famed Mommy Dearest story. Yes. Now, there, there's a story that you can read about, but basically the gist of it is that uh, Mr. Raines' daughter was invited to a birthday party, told she didn't need to dress up. And when she got there, she was the only one not dressed up. And then, of course, Joan Crawford gave her a nice little tour of her estate and said, you can go home now. Uh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mr. Raines had it rough. And uh, just some of the weird information I was able to dig up on him, I think it was his fifth wife, because he was married six times, his fifth wife stopped the the car on their way to the ceremony and said she needed to go home because she wanted to wear her lucky underwear from her first wedding. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it. It. I guess it goes beyond sports. There are athletes who think it's bad luck to change your socks. Apparently, there's lucky underwear. But it, it couldn't have been too lucky because he did get married one more time.
1: All right. Well, uh, folks who love genre movies, monster movies and such, uh, love the Claude Rains because uh, his... The movie debut was at Jack Griffin in The Invisible Man, uh, which was the adaptation of H.G. Wells' novel. Uh, That was in 1933. And he also was in one of my all-time favorite Universal monster movies, The Wolfman, in 1941. He played Lon Chaney Jr.'s father. Uh, But this is a beloved actor. He was in The Adventures of Robin Hood. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. The, Casablanca. Oh, my God. Who? Uh, so appealing in Cl- Casablanca as the friend plus foe of uh, Humphrey Bogart. Um, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Uh, there, there's so many. Phantom of the Opera. Um the Pied Piper of Hamlin, uh, Hamlin. Uh, And finally, uh, he worked into the sixties. He was in Lawrence of Arabia
0: Hmm.
1: and he did win a Tony award and he was nominated many times for best supporting actor on four occasions, Mister Smith goes to Washington, Casablanca, Mister Skeffington, and he was nominated for Notorious as best supporting actor. Uh, I I understand he didn't win, but he was nominated all those times. So he was awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in uh, in Hollywood on February eighth, nineteen sixty. If you heard his voice. You would know this actor. He had a very distinctive voice, kind of a hybrid English-American thing going on. Um, very distinctive guy. And uh, he had these great character bits in so many movies. Uh, the last person I would have mentioned, DJ, mm-hmm. in this movie is the, the actress who played the mother of Claude Rains in Notorious. And, uh, she's Madame Sebastian, as she's referred to, <laughs> she's, uh, from Aust- Austria, uh, she, between 1910 and 1937, uh, she did silent movies, and then she moved into sound movies, uh, she was not a superstar by any means, but she was a working actress, and, uh, she did some stage work in Berlin, uh, and uh, she moved to Britain right at the end of the war, uh, and then uh, was kind of fleeing uh, the war, and that's why she ended up in the United States. She did one major Hollywood film role, and this was it <laughs> as a uh, Sebastian, the mother of Claude Rains, who, incidentally, the actress is just three years um uh, younger than Claude Rains. Oh. It's it's just that as they say in Hollywood she played old. Right. Um and uh she her role in this movie is absolutely wonderful. And um that was music composed by Rob Webb, um who also did the music for It's a Wonderful Life. Um, he did more than a, a 200 films and received uh, an a, uh, Academy Award nomination for something called Quality Street in 1937. He was also nominated for My Favorite Wife, I Married a Witch, Joan of Paris. <laughs> Jesus, this guy was, <laughs> uh, he did a lot of scores. The Fighting East in 1944, The Enchanted Cottage. In 1945,
0: you know what's special about that 1942 film? I Married a Witch. What? It starred legend Veronica Lake, who was such a model for feminine beauty that they asked her to cut her hair during wartime because women who worked in factories were getting it caught in the machinery. Oh. Well, that's, yeah, okay. And also, I Married a Witch is credited with inspiring the storyline behind the TV series Bewitched.
1: That's right. Um, it follows. It's basically a witch who marries a mortal, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, bewitched was patterned uh, right after it. DJ, uh, before we get f- too far away, mm-hmm. uh, we we just did Claude Rains and um, the mother. Uh, the uh, the mother. Mm-hmm. I want to. Uh, I don't think I ever mentioned her real name, and I'll try to pronounce it. Leopoldina. Leop-Constantin. Constantine Constantine Uh, from Austria. She had such brief screen
0: time, but she was clearly in control, and here's some evidence.
1: I am married to an American agent. Yes. It is easy to see now. I knew, but I didn't see. They picked her because of her father. I must have been insane
0: impetuous as before your wedding. You barred me from that episode. Let me arrange this one. Listen to me. No one must know what she is.
1: There must be no suspicion of her, of you, or me. She must be allowed to move about freely, but she will be on a leash. She will learn
0: nothing further to inform. She must go, but it must happen slowly. If she could become
1: ill, and remain ill for a time, until... Uh, evil personified. <laughs> uh, folks, why was this movie considered a classic? It's considered one of Hitchcock's greatest achievements. Uh, it's a thriller. There are no car chases. There are no fist fights. No bomb explodes. Why is it a thriller? How can it be a thriller? Because Hitchcock uses the language of cinema to tighten the screws in the story and make you feel uh, that the characters are in jeopardy. When the big party scene, happens, and Devlin is a guest of, of the husband and wife now, uh, Ingrid Bergman and, and Claude Rains. They're throwing a party. Devlin comes by because he's an old flame, supposedly. Um, he's really there to investigate what Ingrid Bergman has discovered in that there's something odd about the wine in the wine cellar. And at the party scene, she has to get him the key to the wine cellar secretly, and then he's uh, uh, he's actually she she excuses herself, lets him into the wine cellar. They investigate the wine cellar the entire time. Upstairs, the party is going on. The liquor is running thin, and Sebastian says, "We got to go down to the wine cellar." Well, that's where his wife and Devlin are. And you just wouldn't believe how suspenseful this little bit of the story is. And it is equaled later on in several parts when Ingrid Bergman suddenly realizes she's being poisoned. (laughs) Uh, And absolutely the finale of the film when Devlin rescues... Uh, Alicia the suspense is palpable but it's all done with cinematic flourishes and intent by Alfred Hitchcock who was a master at these things and people study this movie it was his most mature movie to date it was his first romantic uh, movie a romantic story and um it's just considered a classic. And and for God's sake, you got Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant. Uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful movie. I hope uh, everyone sees it. Now, Toppy, I wanted to ask
0: you about the party scene with the wine bottles. Yeah. Now, there's some question in my mind, having only seen it maybe once or twice, but, uh, you know, if, if they were to remake this today, they might have had a different take on it. Do you think... That Inger Bergman's new husband, or husband-to-be at that point, I think, was in on it. Do you think he knew that those wine bottles had, and what it, is, what it was, people, was the wine bottles had uranium in them, the radioactive material that's used to make bombs? And Alfred Hitchcock actually got himself into a little bit of trouble researching this this story because it was wartime. He he wrote this, started writing this a couple of years before the war was over, and he ended up getting a tale by the FBI. They were following him because uh, you know that was that information was under lock and key at the time. But he was able to find out that at least you know the material that used to make bombs would fit within a, a wine bottle. So do you think? that uh, the the man at the house knew that that was in the wine bottle or do you think the the uh, you know the uh the domestic brought it up not realizing it was one of the infamous bottles uh,
1: well at, at one point a bottle was mistakenly brought up and that led to the first nazi being killed uh he Uh, accidentally called attention to a bottle that had the uranium in it and it could have blown the Nazis' whole thing. And so they decided to kill him, which is why uh, Sebastian is so afraid of his fellow Nazis discovering that his wife is an American spy because he knows they're going to kill him. They just killed somebody else for very little, actually. I think that the whole the whole mission of this group of Nazis in uh, Rio uh, was to uh, somehow gather this uranium. And uh, the funny thing... So yes, the answer is yes. Uh, they all knew about it. Uh, there were a few problems when a bottle of uranium was mistaken for a bottle of wine and that kind of thing um, now the funny thing about this little plot device it uh, it is that uh, it's called a MacGuffin. and uh, it's a, a coin a, a, a term that was coined prior to this movie but Hitchcock popularized the use of of the word MacGuffin, because he used one so often in his movies. And the MacGuffin is something that's important uh, to the characters in the movie that uh, gets the story moving, but the audience doesn't really care about it too much because it doesn't really matter it's the thing that gets the plot moving and it can a macguffin can be anything or nothing that's the the funny thing about it the macguffin in this movie is this uranium ore does it really matter because it's not a the movie is not about this ore this Mm -hmm. uranium. it's about uh all these other things. But this MacGuffin, the ore, is what moves the plot along and makes the characters do what they do, which is they're secretly gathering it. And uh, and you're right. Uh, at the time, Hitchcock had no bloody idea that uranium was involved in at- the atomic bomb and its manufacture. And uh, yeah, the FBI, FBI investigated him because they wanted to know what the what the hell he was <laughs> doing, writing about uranium. Um, but it uh, it was the MacGuffin, and um, Hitchcock loved using the MacGuffin.
0: Now I have to wonder if even in those days enough was known about atomic energy or nuclear energy, whether or not they thought that it would be safe just merely contained in glass. I mean, if you flash forward a few decades, we've got Back to the Future with Christopher Lloyd, and he has smuggled uranium from these Middle Eastern terrorists, but it seems like it's in something a little bit more profound than a wine bottle.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the the, the radiation uh, and uranium, that, that wasn't, I don't, I don't know that um, Hitchcock knew anything about it. It was, it was really a, a weird dink that he picked that as the thing that moved the plot along, because <laughs> he had he really had no idea <laughs> that it was as important as it was to the American war effort. <laughs> So we are
0: getting towards the end of tonight's show, and we want to thank those of you in our audience for hanging on with us as we manage to jump over a few technical hurdles. And uh, we're at the part of the show where we talk about uh, other things that you might like if you enjoyed this. Uh, we call <coughs> yes. this your "What's on your snack
1: tray?" Before we get going, I just want to say, Crone. Uh, one of the things Crone even enjoys uh she's in the chat room uh, she loves the um uh that uh, hitchcock did cameos uh, little brief appearances in all of his movies and uh um i love that too it it was kind of his little trademark and uh in most uh, well let's just say uh after silent movies i i dare say that in every movie he did once he hit sound, he did a little cameo.
0: You know, and I think he was probably maybe one of the first to do it. And certainly that tradition has continued on because I know that Stephen King has made appearances in several of the films where uh, his books were made into a movie. Yeah, And certainly um, the late great Stan
1: Lee was in films that were made from his characters. Right. And boy, uh, Is there any crazier, weirder face than Stephen King's? (laughs) (laughs) What a weird face. So I'm going to go ahead
0: and tell you folks about some other things that are kind of like... um, Tonight's film Notorious that you might like also so. Uh, yeah. Interesting now, hearing that. I caught this film a few years back. It's the only time I've traveled out of the country, so it's kind of like notorious in that I left the country. But uh, it was an 8-hour flight from New York to Ireland and I got to watch a few movies. I got to see the wonderful Helen Mirren, who's an English acting treasure in a film called The Woman in Gold. Now, this is perfect for this subject matter because it falls on the heels of World War II. It follows a treasure that was in her family. There was a portrait that was commissioned of her character's beloved aunt, who uh, was a, a lady of grace who was prominent in social circles. It's called The Woman in Gold because... The portrait of her aunt was of her wearing a beautiful gold dress. And the art fell into the hands of the Nazis during the war. And now many years later, the art has been identified in a gallery collection. And she's going to the Middle East to, or not to the Middle East, to Washington to reclaim it in her family's name. Uh, Then uh, another film that I would recommend that actually... Uh, came right after Notorious, apparently. Unbeknownst to me, it's not a Hitchcock film, but it is a black and white, and it does have a bit of detective work in it. One of my father's favorite actors, Bob Hope. And this (laughs) was a film called My Favorite Brunette. It's a little tongue-in-cheek. Basically, the story is Bob Hope's character is a photographer who specializes in children and baby pictures. Well, the uh, the guy that has the office next to him he's the he's the real you know uh, dark shadow he's the private eye and he's going out on a, a a mission a call while he's out Bob Hope's character is supposed to answer the phones and watch his office well that's when the plot thickens because the damsel in distress comes in thinks Bob Hope is the private eye and of course he takes the case because she bats those eyelashes
1: oh all right. I can see the uh, comparison.
0: And uh, it has a screen legend in it. Lon Chaney Jr. makes an appearance as one of the goons in this estate that
1: they travel to later. Ah. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Jesus, I'll have to see this movie.
0: (laughs) Yes. So, all right, folks, we are going
1: to go ahead and give... Yes, sir? Uh, DJ, I, I cannot not mention this. Uh, I meant to mention it earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, Hitchcock was, well, uh, a genius, but he he had one one of cinema's most spectacular shots is considered to be in this movie. And I want to call your attention to it, so when you see it, you can take note. It is the beginning of the party scene and Ingrid Bergman has stolen the key to uh, the wine room, the wine cellar from her husband. And she's waiting for Devlin to come as a guest so that she can give it to him. At the beginning of the scene, we are treated to this wide shot of the ballroom uh, or where the party is taking place below. And it is it, there's a staircase that starts in the foreground and goes down. There's Ingrid Bergman way down there. And the camera starts tracking in, in this beautiful, long shot. And it tracks in. It gets closer and closer to the ground. It gets closer to Ingrid Bergman. Her back is to the camera. Her hands are behind her back. The camera keeps going all one shot. And we go from this incredibly large, uh, wide shot. The camera goes down, 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 until her hand fills the entire screen. And she moves her fingers and we see that she has the key. And this was how he built suspense without fist fistfights, Bombs going off or car chases, so that that is considered one of the all-time great shots in cinema history.
0: Hmm. I definitely will have to pay more attention when I see that because there were quite a few eye-catching moments in the film, including when uh, she comes to the realization that she's been poisoned. They superimpose a coffee
1: cup right in front of the camera. No, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a trick photography shot. It was actually a model. <laughs> Of the coffee shot that was really large. Hmm. And the way they kept her in focus and the coffee cup in focus was that this coffee cup was actually like five times larger than it really was. And it was just a trick that Hitchcock used because he wanted the coffee cup and Ingrid Bergman to be in focus. And the only way he could do it was to build a model of it um, so that the focus was right. But again, the, he used the cinema language uh, Bergman looking at the teacup The teacup being right f- flat there Right in front of the the camera Taking up a great deal of space on the screen um, But yeah, another example uh, of Just a genius shot Oh, uh, DJ, uh, it's my phone I guess I better answer Yeah <clears throat> Uh, hello? Gertie? Uh, yeah, guys. uh, Yeah, hi. Just shut up and let me say this. Uh, okay. Um, well, the doctor says it's broken. I'll have to sit this next one out. Uh, listen, guys, lock up for me, will ya? The keys are in the register behind my concession stand counter. And and no free samples. Alright, goodbye.
0: Alright, folks, so we're gonna go ahead and give you a taste of what's to come. Our next episode is going to be just after the holiday here in the Americas. It's going to be on uh, Friday, July 5th, which is coincidentally 2 weeks away. This is kind of a normal length month, so we don't have a, a extra week off like we did last month, but come back on the 5th and uh, we're going to go ahead and get this ball rolling. So Toppy, give me one of those coins from the magician's bag, will you?
1: Yeah. All right, here we go. Uh Get that and uh, put it in the gumball machine.
0: Ooh, okay. Will you get that for me? Open that up, there, sir.
1: All right, here we go. And uh, DJ, uh, uh, what what do we got there? It's a it's a DJ pick. Oh,
0: right. So this is an early 2000s musical. And it's by a director responsible for the latest remake of The Great Gatsby with uh, Leo DiCaprio. This is a drama with romance and budding stars set amidst the -the turn-of-the-century burlesque scene of Paris. Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor in the 2001 Moulin
1: Rouge. Next time on Matinee Minutia. Ew. I don't understand it, DJ. You pick things that I've never seen before in my life. (laughs) That's why I like you, and uh, I'm gonna really enjoy taking this in for the first time.
0: Yes, it's a beautiful film. So, all right, we want to thank everyone in the chat room for joining us tonight.
1: Yeah, uh, Billy Star Sage Cronehaven. Um. Marin Gertz and our pal Tommy. Say goodnight, Gracie. Uh, Goodnight, Gracie.
0: Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our program is live every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to univaspods.net Click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia join our Facebook group or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com have an idea for a future show or just want to message us email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com
1: has Gone Wild with Matt and Tom Speak Up The Smellcast by Tommy Smelly Be Heard Tastes Like Burning with Tim and James
0: Unique Voices in Podcasting.
1: The Shy Life Podcast. With me, Paul the Shy
0: Yeti.